0: Good morning to my little sugar plum fairies. Welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. Hello, hello, hello. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode as much as I did. I absolutely loved talking to Farnoosh. And honestly, she like empowered me for many reasons. Like I want to get on my soapbox about this really quick. After our conversation, I was like, okay, I am done being like, oh, well, I'm just like a woman who like makes her own money and is running her own business. I'm now like walking around like I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to use that power to fucking help people. I want to be a rich woman that helps others. Like she just like is so matter of fact and confident and secure. And I have a new lease on life after that conversation with, I also have a new lease on life because I got the skims nipple bra. Now, a lot of people are like, what is the point of this? Like, this is so consumerist. Like this is the male gaze, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, you know what? There are a lot of things that I'm like, this is the male gaze and people are like, let a girl have fun. And I'm like, wrong take. And then when I do it, I'm like, it's fine. It 100% is the male gaze. That being said, I don't think people understand like how hard it is to feel sexy when you have huge fucking boobs. And I'm not talking about like, I mean, everybody has what would be huge for their frame. Like when I had like size F cups on a five foot two frame, I never felt sexy, like ever. I could never find a bra that fit me well. And when I did, it was like an over the shoulder boulder holder. Like literally I was buying bras from the company Spanx. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying I never felt sexy. And I'm not saying that big titties aren't sexy. Do not get this twisted. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I never felt sexy when I had size F boobs on my five foot two frame and I struggled to find bras that made me feel sexy. Skims wasn't around back then. If it was, I probably would have been their number one fan and a bra like this would have made me feel like... I would have felt sexy because it's it's like this idea of like going braless that I could never do, that I always wanted to do, this like almost like nude look that I could never like pull off. And I was always trying to hide my boobs. I don't know. I just would have felt so empowered by this if I had this like back in 2017. And then on top of it, like my aunt, had uh, breast cancer and she went in to have a mastectomy and they haven't given her her boob job yet because then she had to do chemo. A bra like this, like she was really struggling with not feeling sexy. A bra like this would have made her like felt so fucking hot. Like she would have just felt sexier. She would have felt more confident. Like, I don't know. I think there's that angle to it. Am I dealing with either of those things in my personal life right now? Absolutely not. I literally bought the fucking hard nipple bra I want hard nipples. It's the hottest bra I've ever worn. I'm obsessed with it. I'm in love with Kim Kardashian, point blank period, like whatever. I'm obsessed with this bra. So there's that. I would like actually die if Skims wanted to like collab. Like if we were like a friendship or whatever, like if we could like, even if they wanted to gift me something, they did one time and it was a really long time ago. And I'm like, what have I done wrong since then? Like, And how can I, how can I get, get it, get it again? Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, like that really just happened to me. So it's a current thing. What else has happened to me in the past week? The past week has been such an interesting thing. Like first, credit card gets hacked. Figure everybody, like just so you know, Facebook, if your Facebook gets hacked and for whatever reason you have a credit card through like Instagram from like when they had like Instagram shop or something, they're trying to hack your credit card. So they hacked my Facebook and they changed my profile picture to like the Facebook logo and then they made all the captions, sorry. And I was like, sorry, you hacked my Facebook. Then they started to charge thousands of dollars of Facebook ads onto my credit card. I had to cancel my credit card, get a new one, sorry, like, sorry, isn't going to cut it. Everybody goes secure your Facebook with do factor authentication. I thought I had it. I don't even want a Facebook. My Facebook's on private. Like if you're my friend, you can see, I don't even think you can see my posts if you're my friend. Like it's honestly at this point an archive for me because I don't use it. And I like comment on my mom's stuff. That's like it. So yeah, make sure your Facebook is secure. Uh, that's your homework for today. I don't think that we've talked about The Golden Bachelor. And before we get into today's episode, which is like all about theater. So if you don't like theater, like if you really hate it, maybe this isn't the episode for you. If you're on the fence, I don't know, maybe I could change your mind. We're gonna go through like a bunch of stuff. We're gonna go through like really basic, like my theater background, and then we're gonna go all the way into like really like specific. So you could tune out at any moment and I won't be offended. But before that, we need to talk about The Golden Bachelor. I don't know what it... First of all, I read somewhere that this is like literally saving the franchise. It's like the most viewers they've had in like seven seasons. And that checks out for me. I think one of the things I like most about it, people are saying like, oh, I like most about it that they didn't go for fame. These women aren't there for fame. And I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Because on some level, they still seem to want to do something like fun in front of the camera. Like whether or not they're actually there for love is, I think, disputable. But I think the thing that I really love about it is that they're over bullshit and drama and tea. Like typically every episode of The Bachelor has so much bullshit, drama, tea, jealousy, like every single episode, especially The Bachelor. The Bachelorette, I feel like it's a little bit better, but it's like toxic masculinity. This hasn't really had a lot of bullshit. Like obviously there was the Kathy thing with like Kathy and Teresa fighting and whatnot. And like, obviously they needed a little bit of drama, but there's been literally nothing else. And I think it's so refreshing to watch people just like form relationships to one another in earnest, whether that's the women becoming friends and them all crying when people are sent home because they love each other so much and they're rooting for each other so much. Or Gary being like, physically incapable of sending people home because of how just like genuine the relationships he's formed with these people are and how genuine he is as a person I don't know I think it's like literally the sweetest thing I hope Joan is the golden bachelorette everybody's like who do you think is gonna win who do you think is gonna win I think Leslie is gonna win I don't know it's hard for me to say who I want to win because I was team Joan and I also loved Ellen So I was a Joan and Ellen girly, a Joan and Ellen supremacist, a Joan and Ellen stan. And so I kind of now reflecting on it, I'm like, I don't really care about these three that much. I will say Teresa is from like a town, one town away from my hometown, which is really weird. Like all the shots in her hometown, like that they showed were, like, literally my town, which is, like, so funny, but then I thought it was so weird that they went to Seaside Heights, because anybody who understands the Jersey Shore, like, technically, yes, Teresa lives on the, quote, Jersey Shore, unquote, but Seaside Heights, New Jersey, is, like, an hour away from Shrewsbury, where Teresa's from, and there are so many things to do in Monmouth County, New Jersey, I don't understand why they had to go to Seaside. Seaside is, like, the reason people hate New Jersey, so I was just, like, why did they have to do that, but Above all, I just love the show so much and I'm really looking forward to like them continuing on with it. Like I want a new season now, tomorrow. Now that the SAG strike is over though, I presume that we're going to get a lot of updates about when some shows, Euphoria, White Lotus, to name a few, are coming back. I don't, I'm not a big Euphoria person. I don't like, I've never really cared for it. I feel like it's just not my cup of tea. I don't think I'm big into like Sam Levinson's vision, but I love The White Lotus, so I would love for that to come back. But it's finally high time that I can talk to you guys about my thoughts about Barbie and also Theater Camp, which are two movies that came out in July. And we'll start with Barbie. I, honestly, like, everything has been said already. I feel like, like, I'm not adding anything interesting or newer dynamic into the conversation about Barbie. I thought Barbie was a great movie. I thought it was adorable. I thought it was sweet. I loved the message. I thought Ryan Gosling, like, was... I thought that was like the pinnacle of his comedic acting. I've never seen him act that well. I just thought everybody did an amazing job. Margot Robbie was amazing. America Ferreira was amazing. Like everybody was great. I just, I don't think I had as much of like a visceral reaction or strong connection to it as like a lot of other people did. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's wrong. Like we're all going to connect to different things. I just didn't walk out like, I'm never going to stop thinking about this. I kind of walked out like sniffling a little bit, like definitely cried at the end, like That was a really beautiful, sweet movie, but I wasn't like obsessed. I think the reason is there are other pieces of media, specifically books and like columns and even podcasts that are about the same themes that have spoken to me more then Barbie as a film usually film as a medium is not like where I go to connect to larger world themes I'm usually going to like turn my brain off and be entertained so maybe that's why but I just liked it I won't say it was like my favorite movie I saw it once and I thought it was great and that's like all I really have to say like I don't have a whole ton to add to the conversation because I feel like we've spoken about it enough But Theater Camp, on the other hand... So Theater Camp is a film, if you don't know about it, that deserves the world. It came out in July, and I'm literally obsessed with it. It is my favorite movie I've ever seen in my life basically I went to an advanced screening like one or two days like right before the sag strike started so I was never able to really like speak about theater camp also the film wasn't out yet so I couldn't like spoil it for people in those one or two days so I never really got the chance to talk about it but I was talking to Ben Platt like before we watched the movie and he said something to the effect of like this movie was made for you like you're gonna be obsessed to me and I was like okay like we'll see um it was like I literally am Rebecca Diane I thought this was a perfect film I laughed I cried I was Obsessed, in love, enthralled, never seen a better movie. If a movie deserves the Oscar to me at his theater camp, it was the most elite film I've ever seen in my life. Talk about connecting, talk about fucking seeing yourself in something. It was so funny. Never seen anything funnier in my life. It was so touching. Never seen anything so beautiful. The the song Camp Isn't Home at the end will be my top song of 2023. I have no complaints about Theater Camp, the movie. I thought it was exceptional, exceptionally good and just delightful, to be honest. And if you haven't seen it, sprint, don't walk. Like you need to go watch it. It's literally awesome. In the vein of television, something that feels like watching a TV show is watching Taylor Swift live her life. Like, it's so interesting to me, and this is a working theory that I have, that Taylor Swift and her friend group and like her going outside in New York City, to be honest, is like almost like watching reality television because I don't know what's different about it than like other paparazzi celebrity sightings. I think it's the fact that she was inside for so long, like she never was spotted or sighted. Like for a pretty long time, we didn't get a lot of Taylor Swift, but I don't think it's that because other celebrities get spotted out and I'm just like, okay, like cool. Like that's Ariana Grande or whatever it is. Something about watching Taylor Swift with Brittany Mahomes and Selena Gomez and Gigi Hadid and like the whole crew, Sophie Turner, like go out and like experience life is watching reality television to me. Like, I don't know why I can't look away. It's so interesting. And I'm low-key obsessed, like very much so, in fact. So that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I've also been watching the Kardashians. You guys know I love the Kardashians. Nothing crazy to report on the Kardashian front. I mean, I did a live the other day where I was talking about the Kardashians on TikTok and like, I've never had a more passionate live to talk about pop culture. So I'm curious if like, that would be something you guys would want me to talk more about. I don't know if you guys care about the Kardashians. A lot of people don't give a fuck about the Kardashians. So I don't want to bore you with that if like that's not your Roman Empire in the way that it's mine. But that's really what I've been up to television-wise other than re-watching Sex and the City, which I'm always kind of doing actively and that never really ends for me. I did want to share though that... My Boston book tour is all sold out. You can join the waitlist on City Winery, or if you're really passionate about finding a ticket, perhaps in one of my Facebook groups or something of that nature, you'll be able to find a ticket. I am just so fucking excited, honestly. Like, I can't wait. I announced that I have two guests at the Boston show. It's going to be Robin Del Monte, Girl Town, and Marley Diaz, founder of 100 Black Girl Books. Uh, like two incredible women that I didn't know I needed in my life, like genuinely insane. The guests for my New York show are Tim Chusano, Taylor Lorenz, and one very, very special guest who will be announced the night of in person. And you guys are going to freak out. Like, I don't even, I can't even believe this person said yes. I'm like astounded and blown away because I'm a fan. If you know, you know. Anyway, we're about a month out from the book coming out. You can still pre-order it. You can still get tickets to tour. I'm very, very excited I feel a little nauseous about it to be honest, but I'm trying not to think about that. I'm trying to center joy, excitement, thrill, all of the good things. And we beat on um, as the great or not so great F. Scout Fitzgerald once said. I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend and then I'm going to be in Houston. So lots of traveling, which I think is good. Honestly, distracts me a little bit, which always is nice because, you know, when you have a big thing coming up, I don't know about you guys, I feel like I really need that distraction, that level of like separation from what's happening to like the rest of my life. So I think it'll be nice to um, have a bit of, of that separation and I'm really looking forward to it. So without further ado, I think we should talk about the theater. So my background, like let's talk about why I have feel like the I have the agency to talk about this. I've been a theater kid since day one. My parents are both very sporty individuals. Um, they both like sports. My dad is very, very athletic, so is my mom. Um, they were not theater people. I apparently, when I was like three years old, I asked my mom if I could like sing, act and dance and like join singing, acting and dancing classes. And that was just what I wanted to do. Like, I was like, I want to sing, act, and dance. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. Honestly, I could ask her. Let's call her. Hi, honey. Hi, mom. I have a question. Yes. When I was a child, did I just ask you if I could, like, do singing, acting, and dancing classes? Or, like, how did I get into theater? Because I'm doing a podcast, and I'm, like, trying to remember, like, how I started. I mean,
1: when you were a baby, we listened to, like, sort of broadway-esque music all the time and um then when you were really little every tv show that we watched like we didn't watch you know sesame street we didn't watch we didn't watch anything that didn't have a lot of singing in it um and then i think i introduced to you mary poppins before you were two years old and you became very quickly obsessed with mary poppins um, actually, it was before then. I think before you were one years old, I would watch Mary Poppins with you, and you were fascinated by it, and you were talking and singing by the time you were one and able to, like, sing certain songs. And then from that point forward, you were always just singing and dancing and obsessed with anything sort of musical-related. Um, and then I think I just put you into, like, natural ballet classes um,
0: that didn't and work. Have
1: you? <laughs> um, no, just because, like, you know, you know, I would, I signed you up for Rack Soccer and I signed you up for all those other things to be with your friends and your community, but you always gravitated toward anything that was more toward the arts, but you also didn't like to, like, paint or draw. So, and I also sang to you all the time. We just always sang. So I think it just was a natural progression. And as far as um, singing classes, I think you probably asked to do that. Um, but I probably just, like, we probably did mommy and me things.
0: Yeah. It was like natural.
1: Yeah. That turned into, um, you know, a a more, you know, trained environment of like, you know, where you could do plays as, as like a little child. Love it. Um, yeah. And then it was because of your voice, um, when you were, in the school plays. And when you would answer the phone, people would always say you had a great voice when you were a little girl and would answer the phone when you were like seven, eight years old, like your speaking voice. And then somebody said that you should do voiceover. So that's what kind of started that.
0: That, thank you.
1: you, And then when you did, um, of course, uh, in fourth grade, uh, whatever it was, Um, I'm sorry, I just had a shot in my ear. Oh, I forgot.
0: Helen Keller.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Helen Keller. But you had the agent before Helen Keller. Yeah. uh, Because that's when people were like, oh, her voice, oh my God. And actually, it was at Sickles that you were singing. I think you did something with Christian Keel at Sickles. Angel. In third grade when you sang.
0: Well, I Um, love it.
1: Yeah, and then you started taking piano.
0: So there you have it. Um, My mom just got a shot in her ear for her meniere. So she was sounding so tired. I was like, what's wrong with her? And then she goes, sorry, I got a shot in my ear. I'm like, fuck. Oh my God, I feel so bad that I called you. So apropos today, we're going to talk about my favorite sponsor of all time, Today Ticks, You guys know me. I love the theater. That's what we're talking about on this whole episode. And Today Ticks makes getting great deals on theater tickets literally effortless. It began as a revolutionary way to see Broadway shows through discounts and promotions and digital lotteries. But now it just makes theater more accessible in markets across the world. Literally It's the best way to buy theater tickets. When I was in high school, my parents would let me come into the city, you know, once a month and see a show with my own money that I had made from babysitting or hostessing or whatever it was that I was doing. And I would always use Today ticks because it was so affordable. Also, when I was in college and balling on a budget, I would use Today ticks. There are amazing deals to theater tickets. You can save up to 40% off on Broadway tickets. They have an app. It is so user-friendly. You check out right on the app, the tickets get sent right to your phone. And I've seen so many more Broadway shows than I normally would have because of how quick and easy... Easy it is to get tickets through Today Ticks. It's just like, it's the ease of use makes seeing theater the same as going to the movies. And it can even be just as inexpensive. Like you can get theater tickets for 30, $40 on Today Ticks. And I think a lot of people think that Theater is really expensive and oftentimes it is very expensive and inaccessible, but Today Ticks is making it more accessible on a day-to-day basis. It's so flexible. You can literally book tickets for tonight or for a month from now or for a year from now. So you guys need to go see that show you've always wanted to see or discover something new that you'll love just as much for even less. You guys can go to Today TodayTix. It's T-O-D-A-Y-T-I-X dot com slash miss and use promo code MISS to get twenty dollars off your first today ticks purchase. So if you buy a fifty dollar ticket to go see a show, it's going to be thirty dollars. That's promo code miss at today ticks T I X dot com slash miss for an additional twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase. Guys, go see the arts, go support the arts. I love you. I love theater. And that's it anyway, so that was the beginning of it. Um, she mentioned the agent. I was doing a bunch of like plays and musicals. And then there was another kid in my community who had an agent and that agent had come to like a literal church basement to watch us do Annie. Cause I was like absolutely desperate to do any theater like ever, like in school, out of school, everything like we were, I was always doing it. And, um, the agent was like, you should audition for us. It was Shirley Grant management. She originally repped the Jonas brothers. So super New Jersey of us. I went and auditioned. I signed with her. But before that, my parents said, we'll consider getting you an agent. If you can go to an open call audition and get to final callbacks. So we went to, um, the American girl, Kit, Kit Ridge, the American girl movie, open call audition, 12,000 kids on the street and waited for like five hours, got in there, Got to second callbacks, got to third callbacks, got to final callbacks, didn't get it. But because I got to the final callback, my parents were like, fine, you can have your agent. So we did that for about like six months, but it was honestly like my mom is not a stage mom. It was not working. Like she had two other children. We were like, it was just crazy. Like we were running in and out of the city like every day. Like she was picking me up from school early. It just was like kind of messy. So we ended up not pursuing that for very long. It was like six months and then she booked me out, unfortunately. Crushed my dreams. Just kidding. I don't think I would have wanted to be a child star looking back on it. But I was always just, I really gravitated toward the theater when I was young. I was always doing theater. I like on my soapbox again, I just think that children need theater And I think it's the best way to learn about yourself, to learn about others. It's community building, it's character building, it's um, empathy building. It's something so intrinsic to me. Like I know in the same way that many parents are like, you have to go play this. I will say you have to be in a musical because I just want them to have that experience. I think it just, I think theater people are the best kind of people. And I'm so grateful that my parents encouraged that in the way that you just heard. So eventually college comes around and I tell my parents, I want to get my BFA in musical theater. Now, at the time I was busting my ass to be good. Like, listen, I can carry a tune. I can definitely act. I'm not a good dancer. And at the end of the day, I'm not good enough to be on Broadway. And that's just, that's just something that I always knew about myself and I always knew was true, but I didn't want it to be true, right? Like I loved theater so much, but then I woke up one day my senior year of high school and I was like, listen you're probably not going to be on Broadway. Like you're not really talented enough. And I don't say that in a way to be self-loathing. I always say this, it was more just self-awareness, just knowing that I wasn't going to be on Broadway, but I still wanted to find a way to participate in theater and like do it as a career. And I was like, well, girl, you're a pretty good writer. What if we find out how to like incorporate writing into this theater space and see if there's like another avenue where you can still study theater, but you don't have to be performing. That's when I found Michigan's bachelor theater art program, which is basically a catch all for theater arts. So, so theater education. Um, there's even like programs where people go into prisons and they um, teach incarcerated people about theater and create theater with them as a way of healing. There's um, theater administration. There's producing. There's like being an entertainment lawyer. There's um, being like a manager. There's directing, playwriting, all of these things. There's so many other jobs in the theater and like in within arts administration that aren't just acting, singing, dancing, directing, and then like the lights and the sounds and the costumes and everything. There's like a whole nother subset and Michigan has a great program for this. So I was like, that's where I want to go immediately. 100%. That's where I want to go because I will be able to study all of these things and create theater with amazing collaborators because I knew that the Michigan musical theater program and acting program are so highly regarded that I would be around people that would be wanting to create theater and would be so talented in creating theater that they would almost be like amazing pieces in my puzzle when I was making theater. So I go to Michigan and my time there, I was... I did a lot of things, but we'll like run through my resume like as quickly as I can. I had some of my own original plays produced through school uh, through organization called Basement Arts and also just like through my playwriting class. I started my own like student organization that still runs at Michigan called Blank Space Workshop. And it is sort of a home for people in between playwriting class and something like Basement Arts or producing your play where you can have a workshop for your play. And every single day over like two, three weeks, Uh, rehearsal process. You have a cast, you have a director, you guys will literally sit in a room, sit in a circle and read the script. And then you will give feedback and rewrites for the playwright. The playwright will go home, rewrite their play, work on scenes a little bit. And then at the end, there's a staged reading and you get more feedback as a playwright. It's just a really amazing way to help playwrights grow. So I started that organization while I was at school, which was really amazing. And I had so much support from Michigan and the Michigan theater department. I was one of the producers of, um, rude mechanicals which is a student organization that creates uh straight plays so not musicals plays and we did we did two a year so i did that for all four years or three years i'm trying to think of what else oh i was an assistant producer for the ann arbor community theater burns park players and that was like a paid gig which was awesome we did the little mermaid and my friend james was the director and that was just the sweetest thing that ever was in in the world I had to work on a lot of shows that were university productions for credits for school. So I did that. I was doing 24 hour theater when that was an option. Wall to wall, which was when we would like create theater in different rooms in the school. Um, So pretty much any opportunity to make theater, I was doing it at school. And I had, I had the best time. I felt so lucky that I was kind of had like a runway to create what I wanted to create and that people would want to do it with me. And those people have become friends and collaborators for life. And that's just so special. The summer after my sophomore year, I was the um, like artistic administration intern at the Muni, which is one of the biggest regional theaters in the country. It is a summer stock theater, meaning it runs in the summertime. They do, I believe eight shows in 10 weeks, I want to say. It's something, it's a crazy number. I was the assistant to the executive producer and um, the associate producer at the Muni for the summer, and it was the best summer of my life. I am obsessed and in love with that theater. It is magical. It's a crazy thing. They put together... So. Basically, the shows overlap. So there's one show on stage, one show in rehearsals, and one, one cast arriving all at the same time on the Muniz campus. And basically, there's like a two, two and a half week rehearsal process to put together basically a Broadway scale production. When I was there, we did The Wiz. We did Meet Me in St. Louis. We did, um, fuck, it was the 100th anniversary season. It was The Wiz, Meet Me in St. Louis, Singing in the Rain, Jersey Boys, Annie, Gypsy, Maybe it's only six shows. I feel like it was six shows. Hang on. Gypsy? No, there's two more. God, I hate that I can't remember. And Jerome Robbins Broadway, which was a crazy experience because this is so nerdy, but Jerome Robbins, choreographer. And Jerome Robbins Broadway has never been done anywhere other than the one singular time it was on Broadway. It's basically like a cabaret of like all different, like a mixture of all of his different shows. Like, um, like- what is the word for it? Uh, like a review, a review of all of his different shows, um, that he choreographed, which include West Side Story, which is like incredible, which includes, um, what else? Uh, tradition, tradition. What's that one called? On the Town, Fiddler on the Roof, Peter Pan, The King and I, um, just amazing. Like seriously, incredible. Like, and it was really cool because We had to basically like create the rights package for the Muni to be able to have the rights to do the show with the Jerome Robbins estate and all of the composers and producers of those other shows that are like within the show. That was really fascinating. But that was the summer after my sophomore year of college. And the summer after my junior year of college, I worked on Broadway for... Kevin McCollum, he is a producer on Broadway. He produced Rent. He produced In the Heights. He produced Avenue Q. He produced Motown. He produced Six. He's producing The Notebook. He produced Devil Wears Prada. He produced Mrs. Doubtfire. God, what else? So many things, so many things. I loved being there because I loved working on Broadway because it's Broadway and that was always my lifelong dream. I will say, I think I had on rose-colored glasses because... Even though a lot of people think that the theater is like all women and like when you do community theater, like sometimes women are gender bending roles to play male roles because there's not enough guys. And like you think it's like this accepting environment, but on the top levels in like executive producer offices, it's like men and just like Broadway is men yelling at each other on the phone. And I forgot that like, just like any other business, Broadway's a business to make money and it's run by a bunch of men. And that was like a disheartening realization for me that I probably should have realized far before. But I was always just felt so seen and heard and welcomed in the space that I wasn't like ready for that to be true. And I also realized that while I love being in theatrical spaces and Broadway rooms, I didn't want to be a producer. Not only am I a non-confrontational person and you need to be confrontational and give no fucks to be a good producer, but I don't want to produce other people's work. I want my work to be produced and I'm a bad producer. I just wasn't good enough at it for what it takes to actually do it on a major scale. And so that was kind of like, a weird thing. So I was like, okay, fuck, like what job am I going to get after graduating? And then of course COVID happened and everything went down. But I realized, okay, like first of all, I don't think I'm that good at this because I'm not a confrontational person. I don't want to yell on the phone all day. And I I want... I want to do things that keep the magic of Broadway alive, not the like background work that is angry and sad to me. But that summer was amazing because we were working on so many new pieces of theater and one of my jobs was sorting through all the scripts that had would come into the office for consideration for Kevin to come on as a producer which was amazing because I got to read a lot of new theater, see a lot of new theater. I saw so much theater that summer. That was my first time at the Tonys with a student ticket and it was just beautiful. So I think that's most of my experience. Now I did like, of course I have such a knowledge of musical theater that's very vast and like almost scary. Like you can play me any musical theater song and I can probably tell you the song, the year it was released, the show, maybe even sometimes who's singing it, what version of the song it is, like what theater it played at. Like, and that is not so much because of my theatrical education. Like I wasn't learning that in like theater law that I had to take. It was more so um, watching YouTube videos for my entire childhood and most of high school and much of college and just soaking in all of it. I am very, 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 very incredibly passionate and attached to and like enamored by musical theater. And I like regular theater as well, like straight plays and everything like that. Like that's my wheelhouse in terms of my education. But musical theater is just the most important thing to me in the whole entire world. And the knowledge of it is just... uh, like case in point from being obsessed. And that's really it. Okay, so to start, what I want to do and what I want to talk about is I want to go through the different shows that are currently running on broadway and give like my brief take because i feel like for people that either don't know kind of like my taste as it relates to theater or don't know about theater at all and want to know what to see i'm gonna give you just like a tldr and i will also tell you like if i've seen it or not obviously um because i haven't seen everything so first one wicked Okay, We all know I love Wicked. It's one of my favorite shows. I think it's one of the best shows ever and the best shows on Broadway. If you have the chance to see it on tour or in person, I would recommend. If you haven't seen it, it's my number one recommendation. It's a crowd pleaser and everybody loves it. Kind of in a similar vein, The Lion King. Disney just does an excellent job on Broadway. They have a lot of money and Disney Theatrical, is they just do a great job. That being said, I'm not like a big, huge fan of Disney Theatrical and Disney as a whole um, like sometimes their choices and how they treat people isn't my favorite, but I will say the Lion King is super well done. Very nostalgic. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite show ever, but I love it. Hamilton. Okay. Like obviously Hamilton is good. Like we can't, like we, that's obvious to me. And I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's bad. I think the one big issue I have with Hamilton is I don't relate to it personally. And I don't, Think necessarily I'm supposed to or I should. I just don't think the view of women in Hamilton is really that great. And I don't think it's very strongly considered. I think it tries to take this like quasi feminist approach, but I'm not sure if it's that well done. I think one problem I have with it is like at the very end, and if you don't want the spoiler, just like stop listening, but at the very end, it becomes Eliza Hamilton's story um, in Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, which is the last song in Hamilton. And I don't think that 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 feels justified because of how she's viewed throughout it. I don't think she has a lot of moments where she gets to be a person independent of Alexander Hamilton. And maybe that's the point because she technically wasn't in the eyes of society at that time, but she still was a person independent of him. And I would have liked a little bit more light shown on that. I also just think the Peggy and Angelica like arcs kind of feel unfinished to me. And it just, it really glorifies men. And that's fine because that's like what was going on at the time anyways. And obviously the intention behind Hamilton is not to like glorify women in any way. I just think like, it's almost as though Hamilton is a hero. And I think that like, if you actually think it through, he's not one. And like Aaron Burr was always like trying to do the right thing. Like he was trying to do the right thing and he was jealous of Hamilton because he was actually working hard and he wasn't getting anything out of that and Hamilton was just like running his mouth and getting whatever he wanted. And like I almost like think it's interesting that Aaron Burr is like portrayed as such the villain character because I think they both are really, really flawed people, which I think is something Lynn Manuel did really well is writing two flawed characters. But the problem is a lot of people play Hamilton like a hero. And I just struggle with it. I don't know. Sometimes it feels off to me in that way. But like obviously, the music, the intention behind the show, the energy, it's all phenomenal. I saw the original cast two times actually. The first time it was like they announced the transfer from the public. I was like add to cart immediately, a hundred dollar tickets in the front row, like amazing. Then I um had this friend, and her and I were like left out of our friend groups, like prom. Or graduation party like they wouldn't invite us and let us come and like i'm not gonna lie like me and this girl were like very unproblematic so we were like lamenting sitting at my house alone with our families being like pish posh like our friends are mean and her she had these two rich aunts and they were like we're buying you girls tickets to hamilton because fuck the haters and we went and saw hamilton in the original cast and that was like post tony's one week after insane. I've also seen it in the standing room a couple times. And then I've seen it on tour. The reason I've seen it so many times is because my dad, this is very, this is very convoluted, but try to keep up with me. My dad's first cousin, his wife, So this is not, this is technically my dad's first cousin through marriage because she's not blood related to us, but she's married to my dad's first cousin. Her father is one of the executive producers on Hamilton. And because of that, we've been able to get tickets sometimes whenever, you know, The the mood struck to see it, which is very lucky. And it's like definitely a very distant um, connection. Like I can't use that connection for anything other than like occasionally they've given us tickets to see the show. Um, I don't really know the guy, but that was also how I met Lynn because one of the times that I was at the show with actually tickets that I bought, they were there. And that was like the first um, time I ever saw it with my brother the tickets that I bought in the front row for $100, my dad's cousins were there because it was so early on in the Broadway like uh, run of the show. And so afterward they were like, oh my God, you're here, stay in your seats. And then I got to meet Lin-Manuel and I gave him a letter or I was trying to give him a letter. I wrote him, but instead I handed him a tampon because the letter and the tampon were both in my pocket and that's mortifying. But at the end of the day, we fucking love it. Moulin Rouge, let me know why I've seen it 10 times. I cannot escape it. I'm always seeing Moulin Rouge. Like it is impossible for me to not see it. Every I've gotten free tickets 1 million times. Everybody has like been like, hey, do you want to come with me to see Moulin Rouge? And I'm like, oh, you should invite someone else. I've seen it seven times. And they're like, uh-huh. I kind of really want to bring you. Like I kind of want to see you. And I'm like, okay, Fine. I think it's the perfect show for out-of-town visitors. It is the perfect show if you don't really like theater or you don't fuck with it. Because first of all, it's jukebox. All the songs are songs you know. It's like Firework by Katy Perry. Second of all, it's stunningly gorgeous. And the dance is... The choreography is amazing. MJ. Have conflicting feelings, of course, because Michael Jackson is problematic. And I don't really understand why we need to like tell his story on the stage that that's separate from it it's a very good production the show is very good the choreography is amazing but I feel very uncomfortable by it and I wouldn't recommend giving your money there if unless you're like the biggest Michael Jackson stan ever I guess um Harry Potter and the Cursed Child absolutely slays the magic and the special effects are so good and it's really really like tantalizing and entertaining I've never seen Aladdin so if anyone's listening to this and wants to see Aladdin with me, never seen it. Haven't seen Sweeney Todd. I'm not a fan of the score of the show. Um, they did it at Michigan and I was kind of just like, I don't like this. Like obviously Michigan is slaying, but it's not my favorite thing that I've ever seen. Have yet to see Back to the Future, but I'm not running um, not running and sprinting to go see it. Book of Mormon, I, I struggle with because I just think the humor is like a little too offensive um, and not to Mormons. Like... To African people, and it plays into a lot of stereotypes. And I just think some of the jokes take it too far. It's definitely funny, but um I just don't love it. And some of the songs are really beautiful, but it's not my favorite. Have not seen Neil Diamond. Um Six is fine. It's like 90 minutes long. It's like 100 minutes long. It's short. And I think if you've listened to the soundtrack, you've seen everything you needed to see. The soundtrack is phenomenal. And I love the idea behind the show, but it feels more like a concert. And I'm not the biggest fan ever. Have not seen Merrily We Roll Along yet, but I'm trying and hoping to. Hadestown is incredible. It's probably the best thing on on the stage right now. That's not wicked in my opinion. It's beautiful. And if you're not used to a really intimate sort of um, not super flashy, smaller show, just keep that in mind before you see it. But I think anybody would love it. I saw Gutenberg and it was fine. Um, That's like literally all I have to report. I didn't think it was that funny. Um, I don't know if it was just like not my kind of humor. I love Josh Gad and Andrew Reynolds, but I wouldn't strongly recommend it. And Juliet is literally fabulous. It's fantastic. There are two Michigan alumni in the show um, who I was at school with, and it's literally wonderful. It's so, so good. Similar to Moulin Rouge, it's Songs That You Know, it's a jukebox musical, and it's really, really, really good. And the cast is amazing. Haven't seen Spam a Lot yet. It just opened, but I am going to see it. Um, Shucked is good. I think it's like a less problematic Book of Mormon. I don't know if it's like, I'm not, like, screaming, crying, and throwing up for it, but it's good. Um, that's it. Like, it's fine, and Alex Newell is amazing, and that's reason enough to go go see them. Some Like It Hot I loved. I think it's um, contested because there's a lot of this happening in the theater, in, like, commercial theater, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's, like, this idea of basically men dressing up as women for comedy – that's really tired and transphobic and a trope that like is unnecessary. Some Like It Hot is a little bit different because the person that is playing um, the titular role is in the beginning um, like a man and then goes through a journey of self-discovery, realizes they're non-binary or transgender and sort of comes into their own new identity and the 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 um, actor playing this role is a non-binary actor. So for me. And I'm not the right person to say whether or not it's offensive. It's like not my place. And there are so many people that are actually non-binary actors and performers, just non-binary people in the world that can speak better to how they felt about it. This one doesn't feel as much like Mrs. Doubtfire to me, which is literally a cis straight man dressing up like a woman for laughs, which is like directly a tired transphobic trope. This one feels more like this, eh, the, the story goes that they have to dress up like men or they have to dress up like women in order to um, free themselves from this situation that they're in. And they have to lie to a bunch of people and pretend to be women. And one of the actors is a straight cis man doing it. But the other one goes through this this journey of realizing that they are a non- non-binary person um, and a gender fluid person and queer. And so I think that that's like a very beautiful message. And I think that the choreography and music is absolutely phenomenal and some like it hot. Kimberly Akimbo, another one that's like a small musical, small cast. Um, not what you think about when you think like big, flashy musical, but it's fucking amazing. It was the Tony winner last year. It's so, so good. Also two Michigan alumni it who I went to school with. Nina, shout out, is incredible. Liv, shout out, incredible. Just so, so good. Like this is another one I highly recommend up there with Wicked and Town. I have not seen Harmony. I probably won't. Um, I have not seen Here Lies Love. Little Shop of Horrors is off-Broadway, but it's one of my favorites. It's a cult classic, and I think they did a great job. It's in this cute little... West Side Theater and I love the space and I've seen it twice and it's really, really, really good. And okay, those are the Broadway shows. Um, or I guess there's Melissa Etheridge, My Window on Broadway. Probably not going to see that one. Then there's a lot of off-Broadway and then there's a lot of um, Broadway plays. We're just going to talk about musicals because I feel like that's what speaks to most people. I'm very excited to see The Notebook. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see how this season plays out. I'm excited for Suffs to come to Broadway. Um, it's Shayna Taub musical. It's basically Hamilton, but about the suffrage movement and women's right to vote. Um, I saw it when it was at its out of town, or I don't even know if that was its out of town, but I think it was at the public. And it was, was it at the public? Where was it? It was at a theater in New York. I saw it. Um, it was great. I loved it. It's very long and it needed a lot of work, but I'm curious. Very excited for The Wiz because I love The Wiz. Very excited for Smash. Um, very excited for The Who's Tommy. And we will see how the season shakes out. So a little bit about my taste. My favorite musicals are older musicals. I am very passionate about the fact that if there wasn't like, if there was no Rodgers and Hammerstein, there would be no Stephen Sondheim. If there was no Stephen Sondheim, there would be no Lin-Manuel Miranda. I feel like when we trace history of theater, we realize that we need one thing for the next thing to happen. If there was no rent, there would be no Hamilton. Obviously rent is not old, but you get what I'm saying. So I really like golden age musical theater and people think this is pretty antithetical to who I am. Reason being, the golden age of musical theater is categorized by pretty misogynistic and patriarchal shows, of course. It was like the It was like 1943 basically like Theater was going through it through it in the nineteen thirties, like Great Depression, obviously. And then um, in nineteen forty three, there was a production of Oklahoma, which is a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, and it ushered in a new phase on Broadway that is now known as the Golden Age, which is like kind of like categorized by great big shows and stars and costumes and sets, and it sort of brought Broadway back to life. And I love that concept of bringing Broadway back to life. In addition to Oklahoma, which is like one of my favorite musicals, some other musicals that you guys might be familiar with that are golden age would be Carousel and Annie Get Your Gun to name two. Brigadoon, which is pretty popular, not one of my favorites. Um, Kiss Me Kate, also not one of my favorites, but pretty popular. Peter Pan and South Pacific, which are like incredibly famous musicals. The King and I, an incredibly famous and beautiful piece of musical theater that I love, West Side Story, which is in my top five favorite musicals of all time, The Music Man, which is also just like a great musical. It's not one of my favorites, but it's good. Once Upon a Mattress, which is like such a special musical, The Sound of Music, and then two of my favorite musicals of all time, Gypsy and My Fair Lady. And people are like, how could you like My Fair Lady? It's a terrible musical about a a man thinking he can fix a woman, and it's so misogynistic. I I oftentimes, and I've written about this before, but I wonder if, you know, it's Lerner and Lowe's fault. Like Lerner and Lowe are the writers of My Fair Lady. They were writing a musical for the time period they were in, which is the 1940s it's really hard to criticize them for writing a musical about the society they were living in. But I think now we can take that musical and adapt it for the stage in a revival to revive it, to bring out something new. I think the 2017 revival of My Fair Lady really did that. It was at Lincoln Center and it really centered Eliza Doolittle, the protagonist, as a feminist um, in a way. And I just thought it was really interesting. I have also saw at the Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, a production of My Fair Lady. And I believe... 2016 the summer of 2016 so about a little bit of bef- a year before and that one also was sort of like a really interesting take on my fair lady as sort of a piece of like quasi-feminist theater that was completely adapted from the original but it kept the bones and the structure and obviously like the book and the music and it's one of my favorite musicals ever Gypsy is probably my all-time favorite musical because I don't think that many musicals touch on mother-daughter relationships. And specifically, I don't think many musicals touch on the fact that there are women in the world who have dreams that they give up to be moms and to do what society tells them to do. And they love their children and they're happy in their life, but they can't help but feel a great sense of desire for the dream that they abandoned or like wanting to go back to that place. And I just think that like Gypsy it perfectly encapsulates that because obviously Mama Rose is a stage mom and she has these two daughters and it like really captures mother-daughter relationships. Like I do not know what other show does it like Gypsy does. It's literally my favorite show of all fucking time. I'm absolutely obsessed. Other musicals that I love. um, I love Rent. I love West Side Story. I love a chorus line. I'm a big into dancing. So any dance musical theater is like really special to me. I love Grease. I love Mamma Mia. I think Hairspray is a perfect musical. I think Annie is a perfect musical. I love Les Miserables. Um, Let's think of what else. Uh, Obviously, Wicked is just incredible. I love Dream Girls. um, I love The Color Purple. So those are some of my probably like all-time, all-time favorite shows. And I think that just gives you a little background on like what kind of theater that I like to see. Okay, so I put up an Instagram question box asking for ideas for what to talk about that's theater related. And you guys gave me so many good ones. Like I'm just so excited to get into some of this because it's absolutely incredible. Like you guys really showed up and showed out with what you want me to talk about. So now we're going to do that. And of course, the minute that I go to my Instagram to look at the question box, it's not working. And I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? So give me a sec. Okay, like my Instagram is broken and people are being so fucking mean about the nipple bra. Like that's what, that's what you missed on Glee. But anyway, I'm going to try to like look through the answers to the, to the, um, Question box I put up on my notifications, which sucks because I can't see all of them. But we don't have a ton of time anyway, so I'm just going to do the ones that I can see. So the first person asks me about the Sweeney Todd casting. Now, if you don't know, Aaron Tveit and Sutton Foster will be playing Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney. They will be replacing Josh Groban and Annalee Ashford. I'm fine with this. Aaron Tveit is not right for the role of Sweeney Todd, but I look forward to him hopefully proving me wrong. I just think this shiny Jack Kelly attractive white boy man thing that we have going on Broadway is tired. Like I feel like there was a more creative or different choice for the role, or just a better choice for the role. Like I kind of want to see Joshua Henry do it. I don't know. That's just me. Sutton Foster is an obvious choice for Mrs. Lovett. She's a character actress. Um, it feels a little. I don't know. I, it feels like a little too obvious. Um, I've never been the biggest Sutton Foster stand. I like Sutton Foster, and I know she'll be good in this role, but it's expected. I would have loved to see Jessica Vosk do it or somebody that would have to push a little harder for it. Um, jury's out if I'll see it or not. I'm not super sure about how I feel about it, but ultimately, I'm just like, okay, it's just not all right. That is it is what it is, I guess. People ask me to talk about stunt casting in general, and I have like a really interesting feeling about stunt casting specifically because I feel like, so here's my thing. Stunt casting in definition is when they cast like Miranda Sings in Waitress before she got canceled to fill seats or just like throwing celebrities into shows to fill seats um, or big names, whatever it may be. I am not in support of people who don't deserve to play parts taking parts away from hardworking actors who are in the industry who deserve the role and are right for the role. That being said, Broadway is a business. It's almost impossible to make money on Broadway. A lot of people don't know this, but only 25% of Broadway shows recoup their investment. What does that mean? It means the money that they took from producers and other people, line producers, whoever it is, only 25% of shows make the money back to pay those people and in turn get to start profiting. And so with that those odds, it's really hard to make money on Broadway. In order to make money on Broadway, your house needs to be 99% filled every single night. It's really hard to fill a theater at 100% every single night. Um and If they don't stunt cast, a lot of times these shows will close and will put many, many, many more people out of jobs than the one person who didn't get a job because they had to stunt cast. The entire ensemble, the other leads, costumes, hair, makeup, um, stage managers, uh, all of the unionized people that work on the sets. It's just like a lot of people would be out of a job. The orchestra if the show closed versus if they stunt cast and they choose one celebrity over somebody who might deserve the role more. So I have really mixed feelings about it, but ultimately I think we need it until we can fix the issue of Broadway not being profitable. Um, they say nobody goes into theater to make money. And so, yeah, yeah, that's my take on it. Okay, revivals and jukeboxes, different feelings on both. With revivals, I feel like, I'm not into a revival unless it's reimagining the original. The thing I struggled with with Funny Girl is the reason they never revived Funny Girl is that Funny Girl as a musical is bad. Like the the, the show is not good. Like nothing really happens, and it's just not a great show. Don't Ran My Parade is amazing. The music that makes me dance is fantastic. But the show itself isn't good. The reason that Funny Girl was Funny Girl was because of Barbara. And they were afraid that ever reviving it would be a problem because there's no way to reimagine something that just isn't that good to begin with. And because they don't have Barbara, they were afraid to revive it. Now, when they did revive it and they put Beanie Feldstein in it, that wasn't a strong choice because she wasn't right for the role, even though I think she did an awesome job when I saw her and I told her that in person and I love her. And she acts the shit out of the role and she did the best she could have done. Vocally, it's very hard and challenging and I don't think it was the right vocal part for her. She could have slayed on Broadway in something else. We all know she's talented. This just wasn't for her. And the treatment of her was so unkind. Um, Another story for another time. But it's just like, she's not Barbara. And I think that she would say she's not Barbara. Like she's different. And she just wasn't right for the role. And because the role is Fanny, it just didn't work. And people could... Tell the show wasn't that good because of that. And then, you know, the Holy Michelle drama of it all just wasn't helpful in terms of like the entire kind of story surrounding that revival, but it didn't re- reimagine the original. And that's the problem I have with a lot of revivals. I'm like, if you're going to bring a revival in, it needs to be a reimagining, it needs to be a retelling. And why now? I think a lot of productions that are going on Broadway right now fail to answer the why now. Jukebox musicals don't bother me as much. And a jukebox musical is a musical that uses music that's already out there. So, The Share Show, Jersey Boys, um, Anne Juliet, Moulin Rouge, uh, literally half of the ones on Broadway right now. Um, I think there are good jukebox musicals. Ain't Too Proud. The uh, Temptations one was great. Jersey Boys does a good job. I enjoyed The Share Show and I had a fun time. Um, You know, I like them. I think it sucks because one of the hardest things to do in the world is to create original musical theater, especially original musical theater comedy. The reason that we don't see a lot of original musical theater on the stage and we see so many jukeboxes, so many revivals and so many adaptations from films and books is because producers think it can get people in the seats. And I get that. Um, It feels lazy and it feels like we're neglecting original art. But again, Broadway is a business and they can't sell those seats. My biggest problem is the film adaptations. I think a lot of times, <clears throat> Great Gatsby or book adaptations, it's just like unnecessary and there's no why now, why this, so what. It takes spots away from really important, diverse original theater that is telling new and interesting stories in diverse ways, pushing boundaries and teaching teaching us things. And like shows like K-pop, shows like um, Ain't No Mo, those shows close. And in their place comes back to the future. Like, and I just don't think it's necessary. And I think that we need to focus and prioritize spending our money on original pieces of theatrical art when we can, especially original pieces of theatrical art that are written, produced, directed by people of color, women, um, gender, queer people, queer people, immigrants. Like, I just think it's like gotten tired, all of these adaptations. And again, I can understand why because producers want to make money and they don't want their show to close. And they think it's more of a tourist trap to do back to the future, the musical than ain't no mo. But it's just a massive disservice to so many communities. And it's just a really, really big problem on Broadway. So just look where you're spending your money and and go support the arts, support off-Broadway, support off-off-Broadway, support plays, support musicals, support whatever you want to support. Supporting is better than not supporting at all. But if you are looking at like, oh, what should I see? Try to go see that original piece of theater over an adaptation or a jukebox, um, just because I think it, it just matters more to the community and and to the industry. Somebody said, why is Cats the worst musical ever? And I have to be honest, I disagree. And the reason I disagree is that, I don't know, I think it's really interesting. Cats the musical was, um, it's based on a poem by T.S. Eliot, which always was so um, beautiful to me that it's like a musical based on a um, um, poem. Does it revolve around a tribe of cats? Like, absolutely. fucking lutely Should you be high when you see it? Maybe. Do I think it's really beautiful and has some really interesting, deeper messages? Yes. I'm a fan of Cats the Musical. I have to come out and say it. I don't think it's the worst thing ever. Worst thing ever? Finding Neverland. I thought that that was a massive flop. Take it off, Broadway. Like, why was that there? I hated it. It wasn't good. Matthew uh, Morrison, is he the fucking Mr. Shoe? He was the guy in it. And he was mean to me at the stage door. And that show was bad. You know what I mean? That's a bad show but everyone's entitled to their own opinion about theater. You know, I don't like Waitress, the musical and reason being, I just don't understand why it needed to be adapted. I like the music. I'm like, I like the beat. I'm passionate about Sarah Bareilles, like huge fan. Love you queen. Keep doing you, my girl. Um, but I don't know, like it's really not for me. The musical is not something that I really fuck with that much. Um, I don't know why, I just don't like it. But like some people, they're like, that's my favorite fucking musical. Everyone wants to know what I think about like Patty Lapone living with Aubrey Plaza, because allegedly they're living together right now. People are like, Is Patty Lapone poor? Like, why is she living with Aubrey Plaza? Patty Lapone is not poor. I don't think Patty Lapone, like, gives a fuck. I think Patty Lapone is in it for the bit and has been since day one. I think that it's kind of similar to like Taylor Swift and Sabrina Carpenter. Like, Patty Lapone wanted to take in a fellow weirdo, a fellow theatrical weird girl. And so she took in Aubrey Plaza. Like, and the reason. I don't think I don't think there really needs to be a reason. I think Patty Lapone she doesn't have an equity card anymore. Like she's beating to her own fucking drum like uh, like Chris Harper pays my bills. Like do you guys remember that? That is my Roman Empire. Like she doesn't really care, and so I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to most of the things she does. I feel like she's, you know, reached dame status. I feel like she still has more in her, but clearly she's kind of done with um, <laughs> the stage as it relates to being in Actors' Equity Association. So, um, I yeah, I just, I just think that she's, like, kind of beating to her own drum, and she took in Aubrey Plaza as, like, her friend slash little sister, and I think that's cute, like, why not? You know, like live your best life, Patty Lapone. That's my take. Here's what you guys learned today. Since my phone isn't working and I can't see what other takes you want me to give, maybe I'll give them all my story. If it starts working, Patti Lapone is beating to her own drum, doing her own thing, living her own life. And we have to respect and appreciate that. If you're going to see a piece of theater, try your best to push yourself to see off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, or see something original that's on Broadway, a true original musical. Check those creative teams. See what shows that you can support that have women, women of color, queer people, um, indigenous people, immigrants, all of those things, because those are the people that we need to be supporting and those are the stories that we need to be telling. Um, what else? I just love the theater so much. And if you haven't seen Theater Camp, Run, Don't Walk, Ben Platt is a gift to this earth. You guys know I'll stand up for him, not to him, for him until the day that I die. And I think that's kind of it. Like jazz hands, jazz square. love you guys so much. This was really fun. Use my today ticks code. Don't forget about that. And go see some live theater. Treat yourself to it. Treat someone in your life to it. It's almost the holidays. We need theater right now more than anything. We truly do. And I love you guys. And I hope you're having a wonderful, stunning, beautiful, amazing day whenever it is you're listening to this. And I will talk to you next week. Love you. Bye.